0: Section 29 of The Ladies' Paradise by Emile Zola translated by Ernest Alfred Visitelli. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain read by Christine G Chapter 12 part 3 Denise suffocating bewildered stood listening to these frightful charges which he had not at first understood did he really suppose her to be as bad as this at another remark harsher than all the rest she silently turned towards the door, and, in reply to a movement he made to stop her, said, "'Let me alone, sir, I am going away. If you think me what you said, I will not remain in the house another second. But he rushed in front of the door, exclaiming, "'Why don't you defend yourself? Say something!' She stood there very stiff, maintaining an icy silence. For a long time he pressed her with questions, with a growing anxiety, and the mute dignity of this innocent girl once more appeared to be the artful calculation of a woman learned in all the tactics of passion. She could not have played a better game calculating to bring him to her feet, tortured by doubt, desirous of being convinced. "'Come, you say he is from your part of the country. Perhaps you've met there formerly.' "'Swear that there has been nothing between you and this fellow.' And as she obstinately remained silent, as if still wishing to open the door and go away, he completely lost his head, and broke out into a supreme explosion of grief. "'Good heavens! I love you! I love you! Why do you delight in tormenting me like this? You can see that nothing else exists, that the people of whom I speak only touch me through you, and you alone can occupy my thoughts.' "'Thinking you were jealous, I gave up all my pleasures. "'You were told I had mistresses. "'Well, I have them no longer. "'I hardly set foot outside. "'Did I not prefer you at that lady's house? "'Have I not broken with her to belong solely to you? "'And I am still waiting for a word of thanks, a little gratitude. "'And if you fear that I should return to her, you may feel quite easy. "'She is avenging herself by helping one of our former salesmen "'to found a rival establishment.' "'Tell me, must I go on my knees "'to touch your heart?' <laughs> "'He had come to this. "'He, who did not tolerate "'the slightest peccadillo "'with the shopwomen, "'who turned them out "'for the least caprice, "'found himself reduced "'to imploring one of them "'not to go away, "'not to abandon him in his misery. "'He held the door against her, "'ready to forgive her everything, "'to shut his eyes "'if she merely deigned to lie. "'And it was true,' He had got thoroughly sick of girls picked up at theatres and night-houses. He had long since given up Clara, and now ceased to visit at Madame Desforges's house, where Boutemont reigned supreme, while waiting for the opening of the new shop, the Four Seasons, which was already filling the newspapers with its advertisements. "'Must I go on my knees?' repeated he, almost choked by suppressed tears. She stopped him, herself quite unable to conceal her emotion, deeply affected by this suffering passion. "'You are wrong, sir, to agitate yourself in this way,' replied she at last. "'I assure you that all these wicked reports are untrue. This poor fellow you have just seen is no more guilty than I am.' She said this with her brave frank air, looking with her bright eyes straight into his face. "'Very good.' "'I believe you,' murmured he. "'I'll not dismiss any of your comrades, since you take all these people under your protection. "'But why, then, do you repulse me, if you love no one else?' A sudden constraint, an anxious bashfulness seized the young girl. "'You love someone, don't you?' resumed he in a trembling voice. "'Oh, you may speak out. I have no claim on your affections. Do you love anyone?' She turned very red, her heart was in her mouth, and she felt all falsehood impossible before this emotion which was betraying her, this repugnance for a life which made the truth appear in her face in spite of all. Yes, she at last confessed feebly, but I beg you to let me go away, sir, you are torturing me. She was now suffering in her turn. Was it not enough to have to defend herself against him? was she to be obliged to fight against herself, against the breath of tenderness which sometimes took away all her courage? When he spoke to her thus, when she saw him so full of emotion, so overcome, she hardly knew why she still refused. And it was only afterwards that she found, in the depths of her healthy, girlish nature, the pride and the prudence which maintained her intact in her virtue's resolution. It was by a sort of instinct of happiness that she still remained so obstinate to satisfy her need of a quiet life, and not from any idea of virtue. She would have fallen into this man's arms, her heart seduced, her flesh overpowered, if she had not experienced a sort of revolt, almost a feeling of repulsion before the definite bestowal of her being, ignorant of her future fate. The lover made her afraid, inspiring her with that fear that all women feel at the approach of the male. Mouret gave way to a gesture of gloomy discouragement. He could not understand her. He turned towards his desk, took up some papers, and then laid them down again, saying, "'I will retain you no longer, mademoiselle. I cannot keep you against your will.' "'But I don't wish to go away,' replied she, smiling. If you believe me to be innocent, I will remain. One ought always to believe a woman to be virtuous, sir. There are numbers who are so, I assure you. Denise's eyes had involuntarily wandered towards Madame Hedouin's portrait, that lady so wise and so beautiful, whose blood, they said, had brought good fortune to the house. Mouret followed the young girl's look with a start, for he thought he heard his dead wife pronounce this phrase. "'one of her own sayings which he had once recognised. "'And it was like a resurrection. "'He discovered in Denise the good sense, "'the just equilibrium of her he had lost, "'even down to the gentle voice, "'sparing of useless words. "'He was struck by this resemblance, "'which rendered him sadder still. "'You know I am yours,' murmured he in conclusion. "'Do what you like with me.' "'Then she resumed gaily.' That is right, sir. The advice of a woman, however humble she may be, is always worth listening to when she has a little intelligence. If you put yourself in my hands, be sure I'll make nothing but a good man of you. She smiled with that simple, unassuming air which had such a charm. He also smiled in a feeble way and escorted her as far as the door as he would a lady. The next day, Denise was appointed first hand the dress and costume department was divided the management creating especially for her one for children's costumes which was installed close to the ready-made one since her son's dismissal madame aurlie had been trembling for she found the directors getting cool towards her and saw the young girl's power increasing daily would they not shortly sacrifice her in favour of this latter by taking advantage of the first pretext her emperor's masked, puffed up with fat seemed to have got thinner from the shame which now stained the whole lom dynasty and she made a show of going away every evening on her husband's arm for they were brought nearer together by the misfortune and felt vaguely that the evil came from the disorder of their home whilst the poor old man more affected than her in a sickly fear of being himself suspected of robbery counted over the receipts again and again noisily performing miracles with his amputated arm so that, when she saw Denise appointed first-hand in the children's costume department, she experienced such a joy that she paraded the most affectionate feelings towards the young girl, really grateful to her for not having taken her place away. And she overwhelmed her with attentions, treating her as an equal, often going to talk to her in the neighbouring department, with a stately air, like a queen-mother paying a visit to a young queen. In fact, Denise was now at the summit— her appointment as first-hand had destroyed the last resistance. If some still babbled, from that itching of the tongue which ravages every assemblage of men and women, they bowed very low before her face. Marguerite, now second-hand, was full of praise for her. Clara herself, inspired with a secret respect before this good fortune, which she felt herself incapable of achieving, had bowed her head but Denise's victory was more complete still over the gentleman, over Jove, who now bent almost double whenever he addressed her, over Houtin, seized by anxiety on feeling his position giving way under him, and over Bourdoncle, reduced at last to powerlessness. When the latter saw her coming out of the director's office, smiling, with a quiet air, and that the next day Mouret had insisted on the board creating this new department, he had yielded, vanquished by a sacred terror of woman he had always given in thus before mouret recognizing him to be his master notwithstanding his escapades and his idiotic love affairs this time the woman had proved the stronger and he was expecting to be swept away by the disaster however denise bore her triumph in a peaceable charming manner happy at these marks of consideration even affecting to see in them a sympathy for the miseries of her debut and the final success of her patient carriage. thus she received with a laughing joy the slightest marks of friendship and this caused her to be really loved by some she was so kind sympathetic and full of affection the only person for whom she still showed an invincible repugnance was clara having learned that this girl had amused herself by taking Colomban home with her one night, as she had said she would do for a joke, and he, carried away by his passion, was becoming more dissipated every day, whilst poor Genevieve was slowly dying. The adventure was talked of at the ladies' paradise, and thought very droll. But this trouble, the only one she had outside, did not in any way change Denise's equable temper. It was especially in her department that she was seen at her best, in the midst of her little world of babies of all ages she was passionately fond of children and she could not have been placed in a better position sometimes there were fully fifty girls and as many boys there quite a turbulent school let loose in their growing coquettish desires the mothers completely lost their heads she conciliating smiling had the little ones placed in a line on chairs and when there happened to be amongst a number a rosy-cheeked little angel whose pretty face tempted her, she would insist on serving her herself, bringing the dress and trying it on the child's dimpled shoulders with the tender precaution of an elder sister. There were fits of laughter, cries of joys, amidst the scolding voices of the mothers. Sometimes the little girl, already a grand lady, nine or ten years old, having a cloth jacket to try on, would stand studying it before a glass turning round with an absorbed air her eyes sparkling with a desire to please the counters were encumbered with the things unpacked dresses in pink and blue asian linen for children of from one to five years blue sailor costumes with plaited skirt and blouse trimmed with fine cambric muslin louis the fifteenth costumes mantles jackets a pell-mell of narrow garments stiffened in their infantine grace something like the cloakroom of a regiment of big dolls taken out of the wardrobes and given up to pillage denise had always a few sweets in her pockets to appease the tears of some youngster in despair at not being able to carry off a pair of red trousers and she lived there among these little ones as in her own family feeling quite young again herself from the contact of all this innocence and freshness incessantly renewed around her skirts she now had frequent friendly conversations with mouret when she went to the office to take orders and furnish information he kept her talking enjoying the sound of her voice it was what she laughingly called making a good man of him in her prudent cautious norman head there sprang up all sorts of projects ideas about the new business which she had already ventured to hint at when at robineau's and some of which she had expressed on the evening of their walk in the Tuileries' gardens. She could not be occupied in any matter, see any work going on, without being moved with a desire to introduce some improvement in the mechanism. Then, since her entries into the ladies' paradise, she was especially pained by the precarious position of the employees. The sudden dismissals shocked her, she thought them iniquitous and stupid, hurtful to all, to the house as much as to the staff. Her former sufferings were still fresh in her mind, and her heart was seized with pity every time she saw a newcomer, her feet bruised, her eyes dim with tears, dragging herself along in her misery in her silk dress, amidst the spiteful persecution of the old hands. This dog's life made the best of them bad, and the sad work of destruction commenced all eaten up by the trade before the age of forty, disappearing, falling into unknown places, a great many dying in harness, some of consumption and exhaustion, others of fatigue and bad air, a few thrown on the street, the happiest married, buried in some little provincial shop. Was it humane, was it just, this frightful consumption of human life that the big shops carried on every year? and she pleaded the course of the wheelwork of the colossal machine not from any sentimental reasons but by arguments appealing to the very interests of the employers to make a machine solid and strong it is necessary to use good iron if the iron breaks or is broken there is a stoppage of work repeated expenses of starting quite a loss of power sometimes she would become quite animated she would picture an immense ideal bazaar, the phalancierium of modern commerce, in which each one should have his exact share of the profits, according to his merits, with a certainty of the future, assured to him by a contract. Mouret would feel amused at this, notwithstanding his fever. He accused her of socialism, embarrassed her by pointing out the difficulties of carrying out these schemes, for she spoke in the simplicity of her soul bravely trusting in the future, when she perceived a dangerous hole underlying her tender-hearted plans. He was, however, shaken, captivated by this young voice, still trembling from the evils endured, so convinced and earnest in pointing out the reforms which would tend to consolidate the house. Yet he listened while joking with her. The salesman's position gradually improved." the wholesale dismissals were replaced by a system of holidays granted during the dead seasons and there was also about to be created a sort of benefit club which would protect the employees against bad times and ensure them a pension it was the embryo of the vast traders unions of the twentieth century denise did not confine her attention solely to healing the wounds from which she had herself bled she conceived various delicate feminine ideas which, communicated to Mouret, delighted the customers. She also caused Lom's happiness by supporting a scheme he had long nourished, that of creating a band of music, in which all the executants should be chosen from amongst the staff. Three months later, Lom had a hundred and twenty musicians under his direction, the dream of his whole life was realized, and a grand fete was given on the premises, a concert and a ball, to introduce the band of the ladies' paradise to the customers and the whole world. The newspapers took the matter up, Bourdoncle himself, frightened by these innovations, was obliged to bow before this immense advertisement. Afterwards, a recreation-room for the men was established, with two billiard-tables and backgammon and chess-boards, then classes were held in the house of an evening. There were lessons in English and German, in grammar, arithmetic, and geography. They even had lessons in riding and fencing. A library was formed. Ten thousand volumes were placed at the disposal of the employees. And a resident doctor giving consultations gratis was also added, together with baths and hairdressing and refreshment saloons. Every want in life was provided for, everything was to be obtained without going outside. Board, lodging, and clothing. The Lady's Paradise sufficed entirely for all its own wants and pleasures, in the very heart of Paris, taken up by all this clatter, by this working city which was springing up so vigorously out of the ruins of the old streets, at last opened to the rays of the sun. Then a fresh movement of opinion took place in Denise's favour. As Bourdoncle, vanquished, repeated with despair to his friends that he would give a great deal to put Denise into Mouret's arms himself, it was concluded that she had not yielded, that her all-powerfulness resulted from her refusal. From that moment she became immensely popular. They knew for what indulgences they were indebted to her, and they admired her for the force of her will. There was one, at least, who could master the governor, who avenged all the others, and knew how to get something else besides promises out of him. So she had come at last, she who was to make him treat the poor devils with a little respect. When she went through the shop, with her delicate, self-willed head, her tender, invincible air, the salesmen smiled at her, were proud of her, and would willingly have exhibited her to the crowd. Denise, in her happiness, allowed herself to be carried along by this increasing sympathy. Was it all possible? She saw herself arrive in a poor dress, frightened, lost amidst the mechanism of the terrible machine. For a long time she had had the sensation of being nothing, hardly a grain of seed beneath these millstones which were crushing a whole world. And now to-day she was the very soul of this world, she alone was of consequence able at a word to increase or slacken the pace of the colossus lying at her feet and yet she had not wished for these things she had simply presented herself without calculation with the sole charm of her sweetness her sovereignty sometimes caused her an uneasy surprise why did they all obey her she was not pretty she did nothing wrong then she smiled her heart at rest feeling within herself nothing but goodness and prudence, a love of truth and logic which constituted all of her strength. One of Denise's greatest joys was to be able to assist Pauline. The latter, being about to become a mother, was trembling, aware that two other saleswomen in the same condition had been sent away. The principals did not tolerate these accidents, maternity being suppressed as cumbersome and indecent. They occasionally allowed marriage, but would admit of no children. Pauline had, it was true, her husband in the house, but still she felt anxious, it being almost impossible for her to appear at the counter, and in order to postpone a probable dismissal she laced herself very tightly, resolved to conceal her state as long as she could. One of the two saleswomen who had been dismissed had just been delivered of a stillborn child, through having laced herself up in this way, and it was not certain that she herself would recover. Meanwhile, Bourdoncle had observed that Pauline's complexion was getting very livid, and that she had a painfully stiff way of walking. One morning, he was standing near her in the underlinen department when a messenger, taking away a bundle, ran up against her with such force that she cried out in pain. Bourdoncle immediately took her on one side made her confess, and submitted the question of her dismissal to the board, under the pretext that she stood in need of country air. The story of this accident would spread, and would have a disastrous effect on the public, if she should have a miscarriage, as had already taken place in the baby-linen department the year before. Mouret, who was not at the meeting, could only give his opinion in the evening. But Denise having had time to interfere, he closed Bourdoncle's mouth, in the interest of the house itself did they wish to frighten the heads of families and the young mothers amongst their customers and it was decided with great pomp that every married saleswoman should when in the family way be sent to a special midwife's as soon as her presence at the counter became offensive to the customers the next day when denise went up into the infirmary to see pauline who had been obliged to take her bed on account of the blow she had received the latter kissed her violently on both cheeks. "'How kind you are! Had it not been for you, I should have been turned away. Pray don't be anxious about me. The doctor says it's nothing.' Bourges, who had slipped away from his department, was also there, on the other side of the bed. He likewise stammered his thanks, troubled before Denise, whom he now treated as an important person, of a superior class. "'Ah!' If he heard any more nasty remarks about her, he would soon close the mouths of the jealous ones. But Pauline sent him away with a good-natured shrug of the shoulders. "'My poor darling, you're always saying something stupid. Leave us to talk together.' The infirmary was a long, light room, containing twelve beds, with their white curtains. Those who did not wish to go home to their families were nursed here. But, on the day in question, Pauline was the only occupant in a bed near one of the large windows which looked on to the Rue of St augustine, and they immediately commenced to exchange whispered words, tender confidences, in a calm air perfumed with a vague odour of lavender. So he does just what you wish him to. How cruel you are to make him suffer so. Come, just explain it to me now. I've ventured to approach the subject. "'Do you detest him?' Pauline had retained hold of Denise's hand, as the latter sat near the bed, with her elbow on the bolster. And overcome by a sudden emotion, her cheeks invaded with colour, she had a moment of weakness at this direct and unexpected question. Her secret escaped her, she buried her head in the pillow, murmuring, "'I love him!' Pauline was astonished. "'What? You love him?' "'But it's very simple. Say yes.' Denise, her face still concealed, replied, "'No!' by an energetic shake of the head. And she did so simply because she loved him, without being able to explain the matter. No doubt it was ridiculous, but she felt like that, she could not change her nature. Her friend's surprise increased, and she at length asked, "'So it's all to make him marry you?' At this, the young girl sprung up, quite confused. "'Marry me? <laughs> no! Oh, I assure you that I have never wished for anything of the kind. No, never has such an idea entered my head, and you know what a horror I have of all falsehood. "'Well, dear,' resumed Pauline kindly. "'You couldn't have acted otherwise, if such had been your intention. All this must come to an end, and it is very certain that it can only finish by a marriage.' as you won't let it be otherwise. I must tell you that everyone has the same idea. Yes, they feel persuaded that you are riding the high horse, in order to make him take you to church. Dear me, what a funny girl you are!' And she had to console Denise, who had again dropped her head on to the bolster, sobbing, declaring that she would certainly go away, since they attributed all sorts of things to her that had never crossed her mind no doubt, when a man loved a woman, he ought to marry her. But she asked for nothing, she had made no calculations, she simply begged to be allowed to live quietly, with her joys and her sorrows, like other people. She would go away. At the same moment, Mouret was going through the premises below. He had wanted to forget his thoughts by visiting the works once more several months had elapsed the façade now reared its monumental lines behind the vast hoardings which concealed it from the public quite an army of decorators were at work marble cutters mosaic workers and others the central group above the door was being gilded whilst on the acroteria were being fixed the pedestals destined to receive the statues of the manufacturing cities of france from morning to night in the rue de desambres lately open to the public a crowd of idlers stood gaping about their noses in the air seeing nothing but preoccupied by the marvels that were related of this façade, the inauguration of which was going to revolutionize paris and it was on this feverish working-ground amidst the artist's putting the finishing touches to the realization of his dream commenced by the masons that Mouret felt more bitterly than ever the vanity of his fortune. The thought of Denise had suddenly arrested him, this thought which incessantly pierced him with a flame, like the shooting of an incurable pain. He had run away, unable to find a word of satisfaction, fearful lest he should show his tears, leaving behind him the disgust of his triumph. This façade, which was at last erected, seem little in his eyes, very much like one of those walls of sand that children build, and it might have been extended from one end of the city to the other, elevated to the starry sky, yet it would not have filled the emptiness of his heart, that the yes of a mere child could alone fill. When Mouret entered his office he was almost choking with sobs. What did she want? He dared not offer her money now, and the confused idea of a marriage presented itself amidst his young widower's revolts, and in the debility of his powerlessness his tears began to flow. He was very miserable. End of chapter twelve, part three.